Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello. Yeah, very excited to be here today. We have a number of things on the list, uh, the plan list, discussion plan, and uh, I will start uh, by listing the things that we are going to discuss here. We've got points about Chelsea versus Atletico. Is it Callum Hudson a die as a come, comeback thing? Uh, three, four, two, one. A game of two nines. Joe's Var hot take. That was an exciting bit. We've also got some stuff on uh, Jamal Musiala from the uh, the Lazio Bayern game. Seb watched that one. Atalanta Real Madrid hot dog. That was a boring game. And also uh, a team bought a pitch. So we'll talk about that too. Uh, very excitingly, we also have a fantasy football update for you all in this podcast, something we kind of forgot we did at the beginning of the season. Uh, but we've brought it back with the star and a plum for today's episode. Uh, so I hope you can all enjoy the things that we discuss today. But before you do that, I want you to go to the internet and uh, type in theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And why do I want you to do that? Because when you're there and you've signed up with a deal, I don't know what the deal is right now, but it'll be a good one, uh, and for not very much money, you'll have access to the full array of a, of a, a quality products from The Athletic. What am I saying, Seb? I'm trying to say something here, aren't I? You're trying to promote The Athletic, Joe, and you're kind of you're, you're stumbling towards it. But there's a lot of good stuff on it, actually. I'm, I'm going to point people in the direction of... Uh, we talked about uh, Jamal Musiala, and we do talk about this during the uh, during the segment. But do go and read Rafa Honigstein's interview with him because uh, it's very interesting. Also, Jamal comes across uh, really well. Um, obviously, a, a thoughtful young guy, and uh, yeah, well worth reading. Do you know what comes up the top of my feed today? Because the feeds are sometimes specific to uh, to di- different people. Top of my feed is. Uh, Oh, an exclusive with Ian Rush, backing company, buying grounds of grassroots clubs. There we go. But listen, that's a, a pretty bad advert, frankly, but a fantastic product, The Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you can avail yourselves of the things that we have just described and many more better things than the things we've just described. That's all uh, for the intro. Uh, for now, I will leave you in the, the warm hands and the cool embrace of Callum Hudson-Odoi in narrative form. Okay, let's begin with uh, the Atletico nil one Chelsea game. There were some interesting talking points from this. The first one I'm going to draw on is the the Callum Hudson Odoi 
talking points, starting at wing-back, which was interesting because he was subbed off as a sub last game, as we discussed on this week's earlier podcast, and uh, Tuchel called him out specifically regarding his attitude after that game, which felt like quite a harsh thing to do. We, we talked about that at the time and we, uh, we questioned the motives. You know, this choice immediately in the game immediately afterwards sort of appeared to show that, you know, he had a was given a specific and immediate opportunity to change Tuchel's mind and seemed to do fairly well in this position. So I, I wonder if this was all um, if this was all intended by the new Chelsea coach. Alex, what were your thoughts on his performance? Because for a player who has their attitude particularly related to pressing, criticised, um, placing that attacking player in a position where they have require a lot of defensive output in the next game seems like an odd thing to do. Yeah, slightly weird. Um, I mean, I guess against an Atletico Madrid team that is relatively likely to sit off, um, that does afford the wing-backs an opportunity to get forwards. It's also worth noting that Tuchel is very consistent in using um, certain styles of build-up play that tend to create quite a degree of solidity through the centre of the pitch, and that allows and, in fact, encourages the wing-backs to get forwards. So... Tuchel's wingbacks are probably more attacking uh, than than some other wingbacks you would see in a in a kind of three five two system or a three four three system. Um, but yeah, I think he did quite well. I mean, there was, uh, I, I guess, perhaps sometimes a little more energy than um, precision in the way that he pressed. Um, but being up against Thomas Lamar, who was also quite kinetic, but not necessarily all that focused. It seemed to work well. He got back and doubled up. There was a nice moment fairly early on where he uh, he won a good interception uh, and was able to play the ball sensibly square and then progress up the pitch. Um, so yeah, I think I think he did pretty well. I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether this becomes his kind of default role. Um, obviously, it would give Chelsea more of an attacking impetus down that right hand side with a perhaps a more traditional. Uh, left wing back on the other side Um, he certainly has the ball carrying attributes uh, and he does have the energy it's about whether he can just add maybe a little more focus um, to the way he presses not just sort of charging after the ball quite so much yeah Seb I mean I want to pick up on that point Alex has made there because as you say the criticism after the last game related to his attitude particularly um, well specific to to the pressing uh, and as Alex uh, notes there, perhaps the precision wasn't always there, but the, the intention and the energy always was, right? If Tuchel's intention was to try and spark a response from him, I think we, we seem to see... I know you didn't uh, watch uh, focus on this game specifically, but we seem to see that from him. Um, is that smart management now? Because I know our opinion of it earlier in the week was a little different. I think it depends over the long term, Joe. I mean, I think it's one of those things you can maybe get away with once or twice and possibly as a new manager, new coach, new voice in the dressing room. But if you were to do that more than once, so if, for instance, the next time Chelsea drop points or have a disappointing performance, Tuchel repeats the trick, I think it starts to wear a little bit thin and different players with different personalities are going to react to it in different ways. So you have to be super careful, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, Alex, Chelsea played a a four two three one right in this in this um, in this game. It looked really tidy to me. Um, I mean, the first thing I would say is that I liked this team. 
when I watched them. I know that they were missing missing a couple of players, and I know that they were relying on Olivier Giroud, and that uh, short of um, a pretty incredible overhead kick, they didn't create a huge number of chances. But uh, watching the team, I liked the way they moved the ball around. I liked that they were positive, whether that was you know coming off or not in terms of chance creation. Was was their setup specifically to counter? Atletico, you know, given that they they were away in Europe, or is this a system that Tuchel and Chelsea or Tuchel's used regularly in the past? Chelsea can use regularly now. It's hard to say because one of the things about Tuchel is that he's, in, in terms of his system, he's quite flexible, um, but that does largely um, depend on the players that he has available. I think what you can see though is that the patterns of build up are really quite similar to what he was using at PSG. So. He creates this kind of diamond uh, in deep progression. He likes a midfielder to drop off. Um, He likes to be able to create passing options for the central centre-back in a three. If he's using a four-man back line, then you'll have the the same sort of shape, but a a wing-back or a full-back will stay deeper. And then as the ball moves up centrally, you can see the wing-backs getting forwards or wide players splitting out. I think... I think there's enough in what he's doing currently based on how he played at PSG to see that he is working towards a particular style of play. Um, I think he maybe feels that Chelsea's defenders aren't necessarily strong enough to do that as a four-man back line, and so he's using a three at the moment because of that added degree of solidity. Jorginho as well can drop back and spray passes around but isn't necessarily the kind of defensive screening midfielder you'd want sitting in front of a two. Um, I think what he needs to do, you know, the the possession is there, obviously, you know, the the first game that uh, he played, they racked up an insane number of passes. So keeping the ball, that's that's clearly a focus that he's working on and it's going well. I think what he just needs to do is is start to achieve a little more movement between the lines, particularly among the front three. Um, and then you'll start to see Chelsea become slightly more attacking and slightly more effective in the final third. But it's definitely progressing, I think, in the right way. And you can see why he's trying to do what he's trying to do. The other thing about this game, uh, watching it, was that it felt very much like a game of two nines. Because Suarez and Giroud were both, I mean, really isolated for the majority of the game. Giroud's only moment was his goal. Terrifically taken, of course, but resulting from a bit of luck since he was in an offside position when the ball came to him, even though it came off an Atleti defender. Um, but other than this, he almost completely disappeared into the game and was rarely found by his teammates. So it's not not suggestion that it was his fault or it was his performance's fault. But as a result of the way that the game played out, he was barely involved at all other than the goal. Suarez, similarly, he struggled to contribute effectively to goal chances. But as Glenn Hoddle said during the commentary, he was never out of the game. And this is mostly because he makes such a nuisance of himself. And basically, Alex, I'd forgotten how much of a dick he plays like. <laughs> I mean, like, such a dick, right? He plays like. Yes, I guess so. I mean, what what you had here was two systems where, uh, you know, obviously Atleti are looking to uh, to counterattack. Um, the, the striker is there both as a kind of pressing option, but also to be a, a focal point for those long release passes. And Chelsea aren't quite getting the movement between... The, the front three with with the two wider players dropping off and tucking in to be able to link that so it's quite understandable in in Atletico Madrid's case because of the system and, and in Chelsea's case because they've not quite found a way of gelling that forward line together and I think Tuchel is still experimenting with with the options and it's interesting to me that 
you know, Harvard, Siech, the the kind of players who might actually be quite effective in that role haven't been particularly used so far in it. Um, that I, maybe he wants a greater degree of movement. He doesn't want a 10 to kind of fixate on being the creative force because what he's actually looking for is movement and dynamism rather than a certain type of passing. Um, but it's it's interesting that, yeah, the, the, the nines were isolated, yes, but they were isolated for quite different reasons. I mean, Suarez did uh, some diving. He did some thigh pinching. He did a little bit of grabby grabbing. Um, he did, you know, what the commentary team would refer to as gamesmanship, and uh, which, again, they would repeatedly refer to as something which Simeone would, would enjoy. Seb, uh, he would, if you were a defender, he would be uh, a horrible striker to face, right? If you were a defender facing him, if I were a defender facing him, I would get sent off because I, I would just have to kick him at some point or stamp on yeah. him or elbow him. or um, he's, uh, he's in that kind of Jamie Vardy bracket. You know, he's just like a, a little relentless sort of mosquito type forward. Sure. Just, a terrier. Um, he's probably someone who, when a corner is being taken, just very gently, very subtly um, steps on a defender's toes with his studs. He's that kind of player or <laughs> just pinches you under the arm or, you know, punches you very gently on the funny bone. He's that kind, isn't he? He's the kind of player that you just have to retaliate to. Do you remember, you know, when you watch like videos of, well, not videos, but highlights and footage of, of games from the 60s and 70s. And every now and again, a referee just steps away and allows two players to to have a bit of a punch up. So think about, <laughs> yeah. um, think about uh, Keegan and Bremner in that charity shield, the Leeds Liverpool charity shield. Um, it's that, isn't it? Eventually you just think, oh God, just let them go. It becomes a little bit of a hockey fight. And eventually, you've just got to allow a defender just to take a swing at those Suarez, I think, to be fair. Yeah. He reminds me of uh, the sort of kids that you would get in school in the uh, in the 2000s and the 90s, the young kids, who realised very quickly that they weren't really ever going to get in that much trouble and that they knew where the line was. So if they kind of just fluffed over the line uh, yeah. frequently enough but never did anything super serious... Uh, they could get away with it most of the time because violence has left communities. You know what I mean? I feel like if you did this 400 years ago, you'd be dead. Someone would kill you. And that's why people didn't do it before. But now <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not advocating for murder or, or violence, by the way. I'm just saying there's that line now because we're a civilised society. So there's a line and retaliation is considered, you know, as bad as, a, as um, pro proactively provoking people. I feel like that character at school, he or he would sort of flirt with the lines over the course of a school year, and then eventually, like he would do something menial, and the teacher would chuck a board rubber at them. It's right. that kind of. It's just. This it's a kind of a cumulative effect. This happened yeah. in my school with one particular child and one particular teacher, and the child wound the teacher up so much over over the process of a couple of years, probably. That one day, all the, all the child was doing was, uh, I mean, he was, he was like 13 years old. He was stood up out of his desk and he was kind of stealing somebody else's pencils in plain view of everybody else. And he'd been asked to stop and he hadn't stopped. Uh, the poor teacher just snapped and came over and grabbed him by the arm and pushed him back into his seat and then left the room. Um, and we never saw him again. He was sacked. What, the teacher? 
Uh, and I remember thinking like, oh, that's kind of a dick thing. <laughs> I mean, I think we can let that one slide. I know it's a child, 13 years old, teenager maybe, but uh, we're really down memory lane now. Let's reverse this and uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about Luis Suarez. A teacher once taped my mouth shut. Uh, good advice. I'm going to do the same now and say, uh, Suarez, um, he, he must know that people don't like him, right? But he mustn't care. Is that is that fine? I mean, you know, there there are there's that branch of thinking in football that winning is the only thing that matters, and 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 however you do it, you know, is is sort of just doesn't matter at all. Uh, he's going to go down as a as a fantastic player, but people, particularly, I suppose, in in the UK, and the fans of the Premier League will will never forget some of those transgressions, will they? Does that impact legacy, Seb? Or do you think in fifty years' time, what will be the thing that's more remembered about him? I suppose it depends on how we argue these things in 50 years' time. Because at the moment, uh, Luis Suarez is just a topic to have a big online ruck about, isn't he? Um, we won't go into the, the sort of the full list of uh, full list of offences he committed while he was in the UK. But you either uh, hate Luis Suarez or you support Liverpool. And there isn't much crossover between them. Um, <laughs> and but that's purely in the UK. But I, and I, and I, but I think you're right. I think, I think one of the sort of the... Within the game, and certainly within the kind of community of football players, I think it's um, it's quite telling that a lot of the people that play with Luis Suarez really like him. Like uh, he's a you know very close friend of Leo Messi's, for instance. The uh, Atletico players speak very highly of him now. He's one of those. If he's on he? your if, team, if he plays, he's your ally. Exactly, right? exactly. He's he's the guy that you go to war with, basically. Um, so I, I understand that, but I um, no, I've, I've always I've always. Uh, no, I've always hated him. <laughs> I can't stand sure. the source, anything about him. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, Alex, one word response, love or hate? Ambivalent. Okay, there we go. He's found the third word. No wonder that teacher taped your mouth shut. Joe's VAR hot take now. Are you ready for a hot take about VAR? It's an exciting hot take about VAR. Do we have a jingle for this section, though? Or will we No, see? because this is not going to repeat, and I'm not wasting my time. Joe's... I'll just go, Joe's VAR hot take. Joe's VAR hot take. Uh, welcome to Joe's VAR hot take. Uh, VAR, better when you can't see the replays. And I say that because of the following. Atletico Madrid, Chelsea. Uh, of course, the Olivier Giroud goal, Giroud was in the offside position. It turned out that it would... It was tapped back to him by one of the defending teams, so it wasn't offside. But there was a long old hoo-ha about this. And you really realise, you really notice how long it is when the local director doesn't show you the replays and doesn't show you the footage that the VAR or the, 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 the virtual assistant referees are seeing. So we're very used to watching in the, in the Premier League where we see the little blue and the red line and endless focusing on the incident and half the time it's really not that clear anyway and I don't know why he's put the line there and what am I looking at? This is really boring. When you don't see it, do you know what you do see? A melodrama. That's what you see. You see the faces of the players. You see the referee's face. That's the most interesting bit because the referee is in an interesting social position at this moment in time, isn't he? The referee has stopped a game that is being televised to millions of people, stopped it for far longer than anybody should be comfortable with and is trying to listen to his earpiece to, to catch up. He's reliant on other people being speedy about something in order for him to look less slow. He's trying to fend off the, the defenders uh, who are shouting at him the whole time. He's still trying to maintain the veneer of control. He is one man on a pitch of 22 men, well at this point 21 men, 
all of whom could physically overwhelm him, overpower him, take over the stadium, you know? He could be ripped to shreds by the other men that are there. But the civilised society we were talking about before, the little veneer, the illusion of control, there he is, it's all in his face. And, uh, you know, the players are terrified. The, the Chelsea players are anxious. What, how will it work? Will they, will they celebrate again when the goal does go in? Does the, is, can you just pause joy, can you? Who knows? This, this was like a three-act play in two minutes, watching these people's faces. This is way better than looking at static images with lines drawn on them. I don't, I mean, that's just boring. I don't, I don't care whether it's right or not, is what I've realised from this moment. I like VAR not because it gets us to the right decision, but because it creates a drama. Who's with me? You know that trope in soap operas where, or like comedies, where a character is, is reminiscing and he kind of looks into the top right-hand corner of the screen? Um, uh -huh. Well, that's kind of what I was doing while you were talking, because I, I just remembered um, that I had, a, I, had a, I had a teacher who threw an overhead projector out of a second-story window. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I'd completely this isn't about, about my that. hot take. This is about the teachers thing. <laughs> you introduced it though, and I now I'm now I'm I'm living in a kind of a nostalgic days. So I'm I'm completely yeah. useless for the rest of the podcast. I remember uh, when uh, when I had a teacher. I think I was have been in year eight or something, and it was the first time I ever disobeyed a teacher to their face. The teacher held me back <laughs> after a thing to tell me off, and. Uh, Instead of losing the attitude and becoming, oh, I'm, sorry, I'm ever, ever so sorry there, you know, which is what I would ordinarily do, I just went, eh, no. And uh, I didn't say fuck off, but <laughs> I as much as said fuck off without actually swearing. And you know what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened because of the veneer. This is a theme in today's podcast, the illusion of control. Alex is a football expert. He's sixth in a league of his team members. I think I'm, you know, everything's fine. It's not fine. Nothing's fine. You know, no one's in charge of anything. Civilization falls apart. Look what's happened. Civilization has fallen apart. Actually, everyone's adapted pretty well to the pandemic, haven't they? Um, we'll be back after the break to talk about Lazio and Bayern. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing The Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, uh, Lazio won for Bayern Munich. Uh, Jamal Musiala is the uh, is the sort of our main talking point from this because we are an Anglophone podcast. Yeah, we we speak English, and uh, Jamal Musiala also speaks English, but. Treachery! <laughs> no, not treachery at all. Um, he was born in Germany, grew up in England. He's just chosen to represent Germany as a senior international. I feel the same as when Adnan Yanazai chose Belgium. Uh, but, um, you know, it worked out okay, didn't it? Uh, very positive here, though, in this game. Played as a 10 between Sane and Komen, sitting in front of Goretzka and Kimmich. Uh, Seb, you enjoyed this game, didn't you? Tell me your, your thoughts on uh, Jamal Musiala. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it for a little bit. Lazio, Lazio were a little bit of a disaster because they produced a 
first half full of mistakes, which Bayern inevitably capitalised on and built a 3-0 unassailable lead. Uh, but I did enjoy watching Jamal Masalia. It's it's funny because in any other generation, a player like that, it would feel like more of a drama him choosing to play for Germany. Um, but one of the um, one of the one of the aspects of this situation is that one of the reasons why Germany um, coveted him so much and why um, Yogi Love made such an attempt to um, secure his international future is, um, as Rafa Honestein points out in his excellent article on this is that Germany are a lacking individualist. They don't have the kind of the um, the individual talented players that currently England are kind of overwhelmed by in that area of the pitch. Um, Musiala is most likely to be a kind of a, a modern number 10. He'll roam and he'll, he'll, he'll sort of sit at the head of a midfield and he'll create. England aren't really without that type. I mean, obviously, we, we were just about to... Um, I think by the time this podcast released, we will also have released a video about Phil Foden's international future. Uh, but you can add in players like um, James Madison and Deli Ali, James Will Prowse, um, Jude Bellingham. You know these players who aren't necessarily exactly the same, but who could potentially occupy the same area of the pitch. But he's um, he's funny. He's uh, he he's seventeen years old, and he's one of those players who looks like he's he plays like he's twenty five already. You know the mm. one of the types that come along every every now and again who. It's as if someone has just dropped them into the middle of a pitch with a, um, a lifetime's worth of experience because he just looks so ready to play at that level. And it's it's quite striking to watch. Are you saying we don't need him there, Seb? Because that's what I'm hearing. No, it's not that we don't need him. I just think he's made the right decision. When he, he spoke to, to Rafa Honigstein, he said that he wanted to represent the country of his birth. He was born in Stuttgart. Uh, and also, I think that well, another point made in that article is that as a Bayern Munich player who is a German international, there's a, a special status that goes with that. Quite understandably, I suppose it's the same as being um, an England international who plays for Manchester United, for instance. And it's that sort of slightly intangible area, intangible quality, but it's something desirable for a player. And for him also, if you're if you're playing for a country where you're one of very few types of player, um, I suppose your pathway through to the senior international side looks a lot less cluttered. If you were a number 10 or a, like a wide forward and you were 17 and English and only eligible to play for England, I think you could probably be very, very talented, have a very good Premier League career, but also run the risk of, you know, ending your career with fewer than 10 caps potentially. So it's logical. I, I, I completely understand what he's made the decision. Yeah, well, as someone yourself who's just moved to G Germany, I suppose this is all working out rather well for you, isn't it? It sure is. It feels like him and I could become friends. You know, does it? Because uh, he's only seventeen, Seb, and I feel that that's a little well I in the future. Easy in the future. About that. In the future. Well, he how far in the future also, are we talking? Well, yeah, a good five years. He also has a private school background, which helps. He went to um, Whitgift. <laughs> you have a <laughs> fuck. Me. He does. He does. He went to Whitgift. Uh, like this is, um, this is it, isn't it? Behind the veil. This is how it all works. Yeah, it's, you've never even met him, but you already know you could be compatible because he has money too. That's how it works. Well, it's no. So he um, we'll he, feel the same way about our waiters. It's no problem, you know. We'll we'll just treat feel... the poverty stricken the same way. We see things equally for us only. When you leave private school, you get given a key to the special clubs. That allow you to just you know go in and I can't really hear you said because of the the noise of your guard dogs barking on the outskirts <laughs> of your land. There's obviously a, a peasant in the vicinity that needs yes. chewing. 
someone's being torn apart. Anyway, what a disgusting look behind the curtain of, of uh, just. I will listen. I want to encourage you, listeners. Just some of the TIFO people, yeah. Not me. You and me, listener. We're cut from the same cloth, provided that you're cut from exactly the same cloth as me. When you're listening, that cloth is called the poor. Uh, we'll be back after this uh, to talk about uh, maybe the most boring game that's ever happened in the world of football. Okay, Atalanta nil, one Real Madrid, hot dog. I've written here, boring. Quite interesting, when I wrote in boring with many zeros, about eight zeros into uh, Google Docs, it uh, came up with a little red squiggly line underneath and I did the spell check and it said, did you mean boring with seven dots? And I thought, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, here's a point I'd like to make. In, in a video we have coming out uh, shortly about David Beckham's move to Real Madrid, Seb, you write about Florentino Perez and the first Galacticos era, and you talk about how Perez was, of course, keen to sign star players. Pl- players were needed to create his ambition, but his ambition was really a footballing fantasy. And this, this is what we associate Real Madrid with. For better or worse, that's what we think of Real Madrid. Um, injuries we're going to come to, so we'll bear that in mind. But the performance last night was so rubbish, there was no escapism at all, with the exception of the lovely goal, we should say, from Fela Mendy. First attempt on target was 40 minutes in, 20 minutes after the red card. This game made me want to stop watching the game. I don't think... I I wasn't watching the game live. I watched it this morning. I I don't think I got over the red card. It was an extraordinary decision. Did did you guys... I, I remember watching and thinking... When a referee makes a decision that quickly, do you think you were kind of waiting for that? You wanted that moment and you seized upon it. That's that's the dynamic that I'm left with. Yeah. Also, he didn't get ask and like he didn't seem to wait for any kind of VAR thing. Or I mean, there was no there was no second opinion needed, was there? The thing the thing I didn't like about it is I could I couldn't really get over it. But you know, I, individual decisions I tried to leave at the side. But later in the game, Casemiro was clearly told off for diving after he'd already been yeah, yeah, given yeah, a yellow yeah. card. And as far as I understand the rules of the game, if he's been caught diving, he has to be given another yellow card, and he wasn't. And I feel that the the sort of urgency with which um, with which the Atalanta defender Froiler wasn't it was was uh, given a red. Uh, in the first half, no, you know, total discipline. That's fine. That's an approach to refereeing. I can, I can respect and accept that when it's consistent. And I felt that it, I felt that it wasn't in the game. With regards to Real Madrid, though, I, I, it's interesting that the point about Perez and, and, the, and the, the very first Galacticos era was all about aspiration, and Perez had that um, theory, which is kind of proven wrong about how you didn't need holding midfielders and you didn't, you didn't need to to respect the unwritten laws of the game, and, and he was quite dismissive and sneering towards um towards writers who around the time that the galacto the first galacto team was being put together sort of talked about real madrid's imbalances um but yeah fantasy has always been part of it and this team even the players that are meant to occupy that role players like rodrigo and vinicius and um i suppose isco now because he's just been there for so long they just don't capture imagination and i i wonder whether this is partly because you still have the, the the kind of the foundations, the aging foundations of that team that won those European Cups. And there hasn't been quite enough renewal of that side for it to be anything other than a lesser version of it was before, but of what it was before. Because, you know, at its heart, you've still got Modric, you've still got Cruz. Um, okay, Sergio Ramos was suspended last night, but it's very familiar. Um, and the new players who have come into the side to replace you know, others who've been moved on, 
aren't they aren't generational they aren't i mean some of them are very good but they aren't they aren't sufficiently excellent to give this new side any real identity and mixed with what is quite a turgid and cautious playing style it feels very unreal madrid it feels like um at times it can actually feel like watching rafa benitez's valencia which is yeah. i mean they were very accomplished point. but you know Seb, I'm going to pick up on a mistake you made there. You don't make very many of them, um, and I'm going to delight in this. You said Sergio Ramos was injured. You don't know. Oh fuck! I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you you said he was suspended. He's not. He had knee surgery. You prick. And he's uh, back in April. I'm going to list the players. Let's just let's sweep over that. I'm going to list the players now that are currently unavailable. Alex, um, uh, we have uh, Benzema. Ramos, Azard, Carvajal, Marcelo, Rodrigo, Valverde, Odrizola, and Militao. Um, another interesting stat from this game is that uh, eight of Real Madrid's uh, eleven goals in groups in the group stages were scored by players unavailable for tonight's game. And another stat I stole from the BT commentary team. Thanks, BT. First time in eleven years that Madrid took group stage qualification to the final game so it's clearly not like it's some injuries which are specific to this game or specific to this period and are not just to blame uh, for the poor performance here because they weren't doing all too well prior to that as well also second uh, in La Liga chasing Atletico a few points behind and already a game more played Alex what's your what's your take on uh, this Real Madrid team because I, I'm sure you know we, we talked last week on the podcast about tactics being easy ebb and flow being confusing um, this game, they were just so patient and not in a fun way that I, I it just seemed overly cautious and that there was no spark. It was like trying to light a candle in a canal. <laughs> when have you ever tried to do that? Last night. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose that the issue is that, that with particularly with Kroos and Modric, you've got two players that are very good at retaining the ball and very good at circulating it. But unless you have movement up front from players that are dynamic, you're not going to get anything from that. And Isco is really an attacking midfielder. He was being used as a false nine. But you weren't getting those driving runs beyond. And I think it's noticeable that, that you know the best moment of the first half from a Real Madrid perspective was, was Nacho's run. As a free centre-back, he wasn't picked yeah. up. There was space created for him and he was able to drive forwards. He um, cut through th three players, didn't he? Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was really good. It was, uh, you You said in the WhatsApp group, it was quite like what Maguire does. And I think that's a, a very good point. When when players are, uh, are occupied by, or defending players are occupied by attacking players, sometimes there is space for a centre-back to drive forwards in that way. Um, and also Mendy, who who I thought had a really good game. He was probably Madrid's only bright spark. And that's not just the goal, although the goal was very well taken. But there were a couple of instances where he cropped up in the centre-forward position. He was making nice inverted runs, again, because uh, Atalanta's sort of man-oriented press was, was taking care of Real's attacking players in a way that really only left their defenders open. And, and that's kind of a lack of dynamism from Real. They they weren't making third-man runs. They weren't getting in behind the defence. They weren't really stretching too much. Esco was dropping off and helping to circulate the ball. But if there's no penetration, it doesn't matter how much possession you have because it just ends up being really sterile and tedious. Um, and yeah, the, the squad needs a refresh. I mean, yes, obviously, if there's a huge number of players like that and high-quality players that are out injured, that's problematic. But also, if you look at those players... A lot of them are 30 or over. Um, 
yes, Valverde's younger, Odrizola's younger, but you know the the core of that group is is thirty plus, um, and it's it's not necessarily a physical thing, um, although that does play a part. But also, the as those players get older and older, without bringing in, as Seb says, these sort of generational talents, um, and nobody is realistically talking about, you know. Real Madrid being in a position to sign Mbappe or Haaland or or any of these, you know, the the upcoming generational talents because financially La Liga is just not in a position to compete. So it's difficult to see where that kind of level of renewal comes from. Um, Real Madrid are always going to have the quality to be competitive in, in La Liga because they just do, even, you know, the players that are coming through the Castillo, good enough. But they're not they're not looking like a side that can adequately compete in Europe anymore. No. Okay. I mean, what I find interesting about it is looking at that list of injured players, the one who you think the team missed the most, particularly at the moment, is Benzema. And Benzema, five years ago, you know, there was a period where he was considered, obviously a fantastic player, but he was considered the one that could be swapped out for a new incoming <laughs> transfer. You know, he was always the one in Madrid's sort of uh, forward four or five that was the most expendable should they be able to go out and buy another Galactico player. And now we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, Benzema is still, still an absolute, absolutely fantastic player and has adapted his game and has found uh, space in time that he wouldn't have ordinarily had when he was, you know, paired with Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. But, um, now we have a situation where he's the most important and their biggest player in those areas. Anyway, that's Real Madrid. I'm sure we'll talk about them again in the future. And whenever we do, we'll talk about the death of a swan. So, you know, no worries. We'll be back to that. Um, next is Leeds uh, Southampton. Leeds 3-0 Southampton. But that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, because the plan says... Uh, did you know that Leeds United bought a new hybrid pitch from Tottenham for £300,000, Seb? Yeah, so <clears throat> I was watching Leeds Southampton and trying to fill the podcast plan. And there wasn't really anything particularly interesting about the game beyond a couple of good finishes and Southampton's uh, lasting poor form. But a couple of weeks ago, I uh, Phil Hay wrote a report, Athletics Phil Hay wrote a report about Leeds', Leeds, is, uh, Leeds is pitch suffered from snow and inclement weather at the turn of the year. And as a result, um, the top level of grass was infirm. And so players were just falling over. In fact, if you look back, um, there's a moment on Instagram where Jack Grealish commented on it. He was kind of sat at home watching some game or another. Um, and he'd had a few difficulties at Elland Road himself. And he was kind of, you know, um, turfing out the... Uh, ha! Clever. Turfing oh, out the, um, the the Leeds ground staff. Anyway, 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 the solution, um, the solution in the summer, long term, will obviously be to replace the pitch and to install a new draining surface, a new draining system even. Temporarily, what they've done is they've bought a new pitch from Tottenham, who just had one growing on the side, like a kind of Blue Peter kitchen type way, and they paid £300,000 <laughs> for it. I mean, it's a lot of money. And they're going to return it? No, 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 they just grow it. So basically, um, as far as I understand it, Tottenham uh, had a surplus of grass as a result of the lack of NFL fixtures at their stadium this season, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and somehow that affects their... Uh, it, it, it has allowed them to um, grow a new pitch on the sly and sell it. Well, and I just wondered how profit. you would negotiate... Yeah, but how, how, would you, how would you negotiate for that? Like, 
And also, how would you begin the conversation? If you were Leeds United, do you phone up Daniel Levy and say, do you, <laughs> or is it, <laughs> or is it a conversation which happens between respective groundsmen? So, you know, you're, well, mate, you're head Do you think there's guy. a specialist agent out there, Dr. Grass or something, yeah. who, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. on the side, he sells marijuana, of course, but his main job is uh, to, to value Premier League level pitches and, and trade them between teams. Where, where does one keep a pitch? Is there like a hangar yeah. somewhere in Edmonton where it's just laid out and then they go in every so often and water it or... Don't Tottenham well, like, have one uh, under uh, their pitch? Yeah, so at Spurs, like like um like at the Amsterdam Arena, you can kind of roll pitches out depending on what's happening at the stadium, and that includes obviously um, surfaces for concerts and what have you. But more in my mind, like you buy a pitch, okay, so you, you hand over your three hundred grand, and then you have to transport it up to Leeds, and I just wanted to know how it gets there. So obviously, presumably yeah. lorries with. You know, I would have thought so. Maybe, maybe if you had uh, what are those massive uh, Chinook helicopters? <laughs> you could six of them, right? Well, uh, yeah. Do you mean you, like the you, double blade ones you saw in like Vietnam films? Exactly. Yeah. This. And, yeah. and then you just lift it up. Um, like it reminds me of that bit in the BFG where they're transporting one of the giants using Chinooks. It's just slung underneath. Yeah, that would work. If you did that, you could use the pitch as a net to capture a giant, couldn't you? You could drop it over the top of King Kong. And, well, it and, depends you know. how how kind of tightly knitted the pitch is. And from watching the Leeds-Southampton game, uh, I don't think it would hold a giant because it, it, it struggled with the players not falling over. Well, there you go. Disappointing, I suppose. Listen, that was all a bit of fun, wasn't it? And now we're going to have some more fun before we end with Joe's player quotes and database facts. It's Joe's quotes and facts database. Yes, welcome again to the facts and quotes database. Uh, We have three new entrants today. All from Chelsea, because uh, I thought we might talk about United-Chelsea, the game at the weekend, which we probably don't have time to do now. But I prepared these anyway, uh, so uh, let's let's begin. Uh, Seb, would you prefer to choose uh, between Kepa Aridabalaya, Willy Caballero, or Edouard Mendy? Or Antonio Rudiger? I've got four. I want to go Edouard Mendy, please, Joe. Oh, good choice, good choice. Fact about Edouard Mendy, Edouard Mendy, known as the Tall Doorkeeper. Yeah, pretty cool nickname, isn't it, as far as that's, nicknames go? Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, his quote is the least good quote. Basically couldn't find him saying anything that was, you know, funny. Uh, but I did find, I thought if I read this uh, in a in an interesting way, it might sound funny. I love this country. My sister has been living here for seven years. It's beautiful to join her here. That's Edouard Mendy's quote there. So we have Kepper, Willy or Antonio. Alex, who would you like? Uh, I'd like Willie. You want Willie, okay. Um, here's a fact about Willie. Cesc Fabregas bought him a £950 Range Rover after losing a bet the two had made. Yeah, that's a fact about... £950? Is that Well, I think the bet was to buy... No, no. The bet was to buy a Range Rover. The loser would buy the other one a Range Rover. It's the kind of bet that young, wealthy men with nothing to do make. Uh, And I think the bet was something along the lines of, if you can save my shat... I'll buy you a Range Rover. 
and uh, he, Willy Caballero did save it. So Cesc Fabregas was bound by social stricture to buy uh, Willy Caballero a Range Rover. And what did he do? Uh, the ch- uh, cheeky little fella. <laughs> he, he found him one from a uh, scrapyard, and it cost him £950 uh, sterling. And uh, that's it. That's the story. So, you know, a story of uh, waste and gambling there. Um, and the fact about... No, the, that was the fact. The quote about Willie Caballero. I've got two quotes here because I felt that they didn't quite... They didn't quite line up. The first quote is, the most important thing is to win. It doesn't matter how. But also, Willie Caballero said, life is the most important thing, always. That's just deeply inconsistent, isn't it? Exactly. And I wanted to highlight that that inconsistency. Um the next two are really great. So I'm just going to start with Kepper, Aretha Balaya. I don't know if you know this, but he loves birds. Did you know this? He's nicknamed the Bird Master. <laughs> His family constantly had birds in the house when he was growing up. Here's the quote from Kepper. I assume this is true. It might not be. I think it is. Me and my dad participated in a lot of bird singing competitions over the years. We were lucky enough to win a lot of them, or our birds were simply better. I was the bird's coach. We took part in a lot of tournaments and showed good results for a number of years. There were many quotes to choose from with Kepper and his birds. Um, I went with that one because originally I thought that his dad and he were actually imitating birds and singing in competitions, but that's clearly not true. But anyway, there you go. Kepper loves birds. Uh, and finally, Antonio Rudiger, um, this one, according to lifeblogger.com, which, by the way, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's come across this, it's really invaluable for me finding facts about players, because it seems to have like the, the most weirdly written childhood story of every player. <laughs> it's so strange. Uh, and I don't know how much of it's true, but that's why I'm saying, according to lifeblogger.com, Rudiger's strengths are as follows. This is what Life Blogger writes. Rudiger's strengths are he's compassionate, artistic, intuitive, gentle and wise. Sounds nice, doesn't it? His weaknesses, he could be overly trusting. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> what, what, what he likes. Is this, is this likes a dating are... profile? I don't know. His, his <laughs> likes are being alone, sleeping, <laughs> Music, romance, visual media. <laughs> Sorry, hang on, hang on. He likes Swimming. being alone, but he also likes romance. <laughs> well, those two things are, work well together. You should know, Alex. Uh, swimming and spiritual themes. <laughs> he likes spiritual themes. His dislikes. People who claim they know it all. Yeah? Being criticised. The past coming back to haunt. Who likes that? Nobody likes that. And cruelty of any kind. So I just had to read that whole thing because that's great. Listing being criticised as one of your dislikes is such a cop out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listing the past coming back to haunt you. I mean, nobody, nobody's ever said, "Oh, I like that. I liked it when that happened." That's yeah, I really enjoy it when I get those moments. Those are the moments I really live for. You know, when <laughs> when some horrible memory comes shuddering back into my present. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and the quote, uh, can't, couldn't find it, but basically uh, Antonio Rudiger seems like a really nice guy and only says nice things. So, again, similarly, the quote I have here is, uh, we can't finish the season positively by staying negative. And I thought, you know, that's 
maybe that's true. But Luis Suarez would disagree, wouldn't he? He um he, he sounds like a Piscean, and I've just looked at his birthday, and he is. So I I think maybe they've just pulled a couple of personality traits from a horoscope, and thrown them in as if they're true. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that's it. That's why I said according to lifeblogger.com because I really don't want to. It's a to... good caveat. <laughs> it's a very good caveat. Yeah. I'm still I'm trying to sure square up romance and solitude, but. Well, I, I mean, we can talk about it after if you want. It's really obvious. Um, I would say, though, most people like most of these things. So I would say, and, and dislike most of these things. So I imagine. That's, I don't think that's there's anything horoscopes, to complain though, about. isn't it? They, they, exactly, they put that's what it in I'm there. Saying. So you, what's that thing where you you mentally pick out the things that you feel apply to yourself? There's a there's a clever it's term for being it. Selective. Mm, I can't remember. No, it's not that. It's more specific. Um, uh, being having to, lacking any kind of self awareness. That would be it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's probably the end of today's podcast. Um, oh, no, 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 it's not, because we have one more feature. And uh, we'll be back after this short break to talk to some new people. Well, they're not new to the TIFO team, but they're new to the podcast. They're guests. What I'm saying is we have two other members of TIFO here to talk about the fantasy football update. Well, we come now to the fantasy football part of the podcast. Somebody asked us the other day for an update, and I remembered, oh, yeah, we have a fantasy football league. <laughs> uh, I don't know about anyone else. I forgot about it. I looked again at my team and noticed that uh, Callum Wilson has been there for some time. So uh, injuries... Uh, Seb, Alex, have you, know, have you changed your teams much recently? I went for a big change two weeks into the season when I played my wild card and changed everybody. Uh, right. I feel like you I know that really was twenty three game too. weeks ago, Seb. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, we've we've been we haven't embarrassed ourselves. We've been a stable performer. We've held steady in the same position all year. We're we're okay. We're a, um, you know, we're 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 sort of we're we're a bit of a Brighton. Like we promise a lot more than we've delivered, but at some point in the season, it's all going to click and it's going to be fine. Sure, Alex. How have you found it? Because you know you're a a, a self proclaimed football expert. Um, I'm just curious to know how that's translating into actual results for you. Um, I changed my phone over about two weeks ago, and uh-huh. uh, and I can't actually currently log in to see how it's going. Well, I, don't I worry, know, I can log in for you, I, and I, I can tell you how it's going. That would be helpful. I mean, I haven't changed my team since about the fifth week, because sure. I, I find FPL kind of, I don't know. A bit tedious. Uh-huh. So sure. Well, you know, haven't really paid aside, any attention. Don't really think I've changed mine since then. Seb hasn't changed his since the second, so uh, that doesn't count. I'm just going to let you know uh, that you got 28 points this game week. Uh, you've got two Liverpool fullbacks in your defensive lineup. Great idea. And uh, other than that, you've got uh, Mohamed Salah, who presumably has been your captain for almost every game week since this has started. Something like so, that. So you know, a little yeah. bit of a. Uh, Bad luck there. I'm just going to tell you uh, that um, we have two different leagues going because in, in the TIFO Football League, there are thousands and thousands of people and I, and I couldn't ever find anybody else. So we also have a little TIFO Team League. Uh, and uh, currently, I'm ahead of both Seb and Alex. Now, that's the main reason I was keen to do this, uh, this update here for, for listeners uh, because, you know, I think it shows really who, who actually has the 
the footballing brain. I'm on 1340, respectable score. I've been uh, pretty much uh, evenly ahead of Seb the entire time, who is uh, on uh, 1287, and Alex there lingering almost in last place on 1157. But we've got a special treat for listeners today. Uh, There are actually seven people in our TIFO team league. Uh, TIFO as a group is obviously bigger than Alex, Seb and I. And we don't talk about the other people very much because they're intended to sit in the background and make us look better. In fact, they're they're not really real people. They're they're really just support for for my ego. Uh, But we have brought a couple of them here today uh, because... Three of the team are actually doing better than any of the football experts. So, in first place, with 14.28 and, and a whopping game week of 71 points, is uh, is our uh, producer, uh, Ali Clarkson. Hi, Ali. Hello, Joe. Now, Ali, I think it would be worthwhile you just introducing yourself to the TIFO listeners and telling people what you do here. Yeah, I, I, I mainly just massage your ego, Joe. That's pretty much true. <laughs> It's pretty much true, but with a practical uh, point of view. Uh, Ali Ali runs our YouTube channel and uh, all of our social media and uh, does all sorts of things that uh, that help out the rest of the team. Uh, and uh, yeah, Ali's currently sitting top of uh, top of the league. Ali, let me ask you, what's your secret there, Ali? What's your secret? Um, you've got to have a base of the big of the of the big name players, and uh, yeah. I know you guys like to find the the niche ones that might you know score you loads of points or might not score your points, but you've got to have those mm. big hitters in there, like like, like Salah and Fernandez and, and you know, You mean the big like ones. Rafinha and Bamford, who are two of your big hitters? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're my secret weapons. They were my secret weapons last week. So so I actually have been keeping an eye on my team. Um, and every now and then I bring in a couple of players that I think that might, might, might score me some points. And Rafinha mm. was that one. So well, is, that just, it will. is that just players that are up against Southampton that week? There you go, a little, a little, uh, a little glimpse there into the terse interpersonal relationships we have here at Tifa. <laughs> Strange dynamic. Um, we also have another special guest now. Uh, this person I've brought on because she's actually last in the league, and uh, I, I also wanted to know, Alice, uh, you are my sister rather than my wife, as some people think. Uh, hello, Alice. Welcome to the podcast. Hey Joe, it's good to clear that up straight away, isn't it? Always. It is, and I feel like we should do that every time we talk to each other. Um, Alice, you're last in the league. You have a uh, you have over a thousand points, though a thousand and fifteen points, uh, and uh, you know you had a better game week this week than Alex. So there's that. Um, but uh, what's your secret? I would like to say, Joe, that I've checked every week. I've made a lot of changes. Um, and I definitely still had the app installed on my phone before you asked me onto this podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, that makes sense as to why you're scoring. You don't actually have that bad of a team. You have got Van Dyke in there, and you've got Cash <laughs> and Koch, and you've got you've got basically got four people who are permanently injured for the entire season. So that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah. You also have uh, Alexander Arnold. You got Rashford there in midfield, and uh, Tammy Abraham as your captain. And I think Tammy Abraham hasn't hasn't been starting that many games, so that's probably why it's not a terrible team. Um, but yes, I, I think it suffers from lack of uh, lack of observation. The key to the um, initial setup of this was in a mixture of um, which illustrations that I've done that were my favourite. Um, so that was really the basis of my team. Well, that's well, that's good. Well, I've got you here. Would you like to tell people what it is that you do here? You're you're the man- managing illustrator, Alice. 
yeah, that's true. I am the managing illustrator, which sounds it sounds quite um, important, doesn't it? So yeah, it, it, well it is important. <laughs> it's important. We actually have a growing team, so we have four other illustrators now. Do you mean uh, the me. team is expanding in size, or that the individual people within the team are still growing? Because <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, want to be they, confused they with someone who uses child foot. labor. <laughs> Sure, uh, sure. <laughs> they're coming up to six now. Um, they, they're, they're, it's evolving in many ways, Joe. Um, mm. Aesthetically, uh, technically, and in size. Uh, and I guess I'm in charge of that. <laughs> but I also do do some of the videos myself, and I sort of oversee um, all, all of the design. Anything that is a picture, come to me. Yeah, we've got a very special video coming out on the 12th of March, haven't we? Now, without sort of giving too many uh, details away, uh, we could tell you that it is 18 minutes long, I think, and uh, yeah. very exciting and looks lovely, doesn't it? Can we say who it's by or is that too much? Yeah, you can, you can say that. It's a James Montague piece mm. for anybody that uh, is, a, is an avid watcher of TIFO. Um, they'll probably know who he is and it's amazing every time I get to work with one of his scripts. Yeah, there we go. Well, uh, to Ali Clarkson and Alice Devine, uh, thanks to, to you both for uh, appearing on today's podcast. Much appreciated and good luck with your fantasy football teams for the remainder of the season. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Joe. There we go. Uh, now to the important bit. Uh, clear off these fools, these meaningless fools. Uh, the actual TIFO League. Wow, there are thousands and thousands of people in there. Unsurprisingly, no one from the TIFO team appears in the top ten of this list. But Seb has kindly screenshot it for me so I can look. And I can tell you that Intersonal, Intersonal, I guess that's a kind of Arsenal thing, Intersonal by Sir Aboid, currently leading the league with 17-16. Now, this is very exciting because this week, I believe there's been some change in the top three places. Uh, it looks like Jono Brown, who is now uh, in third place, who had a game week of 65 with 17-11. It looked like Jono Brown was first before this week. So, sorry to you, Jono. You've, uh, you've fallen... Jono? Jono? You've fallen off. Ivan Andras with Washington Gunners. Uh, second place was 17-15. And uh, in fourth place, the team with my favourite name, Spuds. Simon H. Uh, with the uh, 17-01. Congratulations to you four. You win nothing because uh, <laughs> we didn't organise anything. It's only game week 25 or whatever it is, so calm down. Don't get too excited. Um, and even if you were there at the end of game week 38, you wouldn't win anything anyway because this is just not that kind of gig, man. Okay, so just uh, just relax. But enjoy yourself, Spud and uh, uh, Sir Aboid. You know, congratulations. Uh, I hope that satiates the listeners who were looking for a fantasy footballing update. We'll be back again with this, probably, I'll say, uh, with an asterisk, uh, before the end of the, the season, if not at the end of the season, to review the, the final results. Although I will say that our uh, TIFO team has held fairly tight um, for, for, for the entire way through Philippe Fenner just taking over me this week. And he um, has actually been fired, so we, we, we won't ever hear from him. Um, okay, well, that was that bit. Thanks, everyone. Well, now, there we go. Wasn't that all fun? A lovely episode for, for people. Hope you enjoyed listening today. Uh, Alex Stewart, thanks to you. Thanks very much, Joe. 
and thanks to you, Seb Stafford-Bloor. Thank you, Joe Devine. We'll be back on Tuesday with some more game-relevant podcasting, and uh, I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Au revoir. Athletic.